Uh, about 10 years ago, a movie called, came out which was called Courage Under Fire. The plot of the movie was to demonstrate that when people, sorry, to demonstrate that people will respond differently when they find themselves in adverse and difficult situations. But the people in the movie had the, a certain amount of sameness about them. They all had military training, they all had an ethos to serve, and they were all committed to a cause. But when each character was placed in a situation of pressure, some seemed to be able to handle it, while others crumbled. Some rose to the occasion. So this morning, whether we are believers or not yet believers, we all face a life which is full of adversity, difficulty, and struggle. Indeed, I'm sure it's fair to say that this morning, quite a few of us are going through these sort of issues right now. So there's two questions I thought we might spend a little time exploring. Actually, three, three questions to explore. What sort of people will we be when we face adversity, difficulty, and struggles? When it comes to the crunch, will we crumble or will we rise to the occasion? And can we equip ourselves to stand firm when we face adversity and difficulty and struggle? Because in the passage that uh, Francis has just read uh, to us, we read an account of the Apostle Paul in prison, and more importantly than that, we witness an account of how he views that situation. It's an account of the welfare of the Apostle and the welfare of the Christian community when we all behave appropriately. What is surprising about the passage is how Paul's personal situation runs counter to what you or I might expect. We see that Paul has developed a skill of accounting for his situation in such a way that he is able to see God at work and to see the gospel advancing in what might have been viewed as disastrous or even humiliating circumstances. We see from the outset of our passage that Paul was a man who was trained and ready. If Christianity were really of God, if Paul were really of God, some may have said, these painful and humiliating events would not occur. And today we live in a world that has a belief system that there is a direct correlation between the kind of person you are and what happens to you. A common question we hear asked is, why do bad things? happen to good people. And the majority of times, it's extremely hard to give an answer. But in this passage, it would appear that Paul, although he finds himself in chains, finds that he needs to interpret his chains. Because for Paul, if all his suffering, all the injustice, and even the prospect of death can be endured, as long as someone can make some sense of it. So we see him struggle with the idea of, can something good come from a bad situation? Paul, in this passage, isn't trying to make himself look good. 
He's not trying to even show off about his chains. You know one of those moments, ha, look how good I am. I've ended up here because I've been doing this so effectively. No, rather, he is presenting you and I with a pattern and a perception that should characterize those in Christ. Given five minutes, it would be easy to come up with a list of ways the gospel may have been hindered in the light of Paul's chains. Instead, it has been advanced. Advanced in the ancient world was a term associated with the removal of obstacles before the advancement of an oncoming army. Paul's prison spell then appears to uh, be laying the groundwork which will be carried on by others. That idea is supported by the fact that for Paul doesn't single himself out for personal recognition. He rather focuses on the larger community. For Paul, the gospel is advanced because many have learnt of his imprisonment and that that imprisonment is the result of his life in Christ, not just as the outworking of a straightforward criminal act. In verse 13, we see Paul explain the effect of his confinement to unbelievers. He claims that the whole guard and everyone else recognizes that his bonds are for Christ. Now, it's easy to kind of gloss over that word guard in our scripture reading, but when we kind of delve behind it, it kind of symbolizes much more than one or two kind of prison attendants. What Paul is kind of talking about here is more in the way of 9,000 men. So whether Paul's referring to that exact number or a general number, it's straightforward and easy to see that a large number of people have been affected by his imprisonment. But what are we to make of this claim in Christ? Well, at the very least, it must refer to a body of convictions about Christ and serves as a link to Paul and to others sharing similar convictions. Because his imprisonment, he goes on to say, has generated new courage among Christians in the area. By the time we reach verse 14, we read that the majority of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord. In the midst of all that has happened, despite the pain and the suffering, the physical hurt, and indeed moments of despair and pain, believers are having courage to speak the word boldly. I wonder this morning in our own way, when we hear of others being arrested, persecuted, or even victimized, are we stirred to action to proclaim the gospel message in a land where we enjoy relative freedom and liberty. But we also read that Paul's experience and his imprisonment has had an unexpected impact on those who preach the gospel in a spirit of rivalry and competition. Paul notes that some are preaching from envy and strife. Some may even have been doing it in such a way to kind of get one up on Paul. Here's this guy who's causing all this attention, bringing people to Christ. Now he's in prison. Here's my opportunity. Here's my moment. I'm going to step into the situation. They were concerned not about the, the apostle's well-being or how he was coping, but simply hoping to be able 
to monopolize on difficult situations. I suppose when we read that, what would you or I do in a similar circumstance? But for Paul, his circumstances are the outworking and the result of his defense of the gospel. Therefore, for Paul, it is the gospel rather than himself which is on trial. Paul and his story are so integrated with the story of Jesus and Christ and his suffering that at times it can be difficult to separate the two. Paul has learned to see his circumstances as part of a deeper deeper relation between what God is and what God is doing with others. Can we then this morning learn from Paul's habit of seeing past one's present circumstance and see it rather as part of Christ's ongoing story. Paul is a person for whom Christ is at the center. This morning, I wonder what is at the center of our lives. Is it our job, our home, our car, our family, or our savior? I have to laugh there because this morning on the way into church, I was kind of joking um, with a person who has a similar car to me. And uh, she happened to say, what kind of people drive cars like that? And I was like, fabulous people, clearly. Uh, So (laughs) I suppose we all can at moments in our lives put our personal possessions to the um, front of our mind, but rather we can learn from Paul. Because Paul, in our reading this morning, has an ethos to serve. Some of us might be a little uneasy in our seats by the time we reach verse 19 and read of the apostle once again rejoicing. After all, in Northern Ireland, it's typical that we kind of take the view that we shouldn't really tell people how happy we are all the time or how well we're doing, let alone you shouldn't pray for it. Uh, But here we find the apostle observing what it is to be truly rejoicing. He's rejoicing over what has happened, but also what will happen. Through this complex and challenging piece of scripture, we see that the fate of Paul and the fate of the church are bound together because Paul lifts a quotation straight from the life of Job. In Job 13, he claims that he will be vindicated before God And those who have spoken falsely will not be welcomed into God's presence. In our passage, Paul takes on Job's voice to affirm with confidence in the outcome of his affliction. Of course, there are differences between the life of Paul and the life of Job. But the point is that we should read scripture in the light of all scripture. You see, if you see yourself as part of a bigger picture, it affects what you do. Paul goes on to argue that he's confident that the prayers of the Philippians and the provision of the Spirit will result in his salvation. Paul isn't just referring to being, uh, not just referring to being vindicated before God, but is also referring to his physical well-being. Paul has set his desire on magnifying Christ, whether that is in life or death. While it is Paul who may live or die, while it is Paul who may be disgraced, it is Christ 
who may ultimately be magnified. In Paul's case, his body is something no longer that he has control over. His body has become the text on which the empire's power will be inscribed. But for Paul, his body will be Christ's, whether he lives or dies. Similarly for you and for I, we, not, we this morning may not find ourselves in prison, but the way we live our lives will show whether Christ is disgraced or magnified. Our patterns of consumption say, the ways we get our wealth and our readiness to give it away all affects our gospel witness. You see, if you see yourself as part of a bigger picture, individual praise doesn't matter. In verse 22, we begin an interesting paragraph in which Paul begins to reflect on his own preference for life or death. Paul here is clearly neither the judge nor the jury. The decision is far from resting in his hands. It rests in the hands of others. So what, could there, what meaning could there be in his struggle? On one hand, Paul has no choice as he awaits the decisions of others. In a sense, though, Paul can take the initiative, walk into his own future, embrace rather than resist necessity, and be on top rather than beneath the situation. What can the world really do to him? After all, has this Christ he's been following not conquered death and defeated sin? For Paul, remaining in the flesh is more important because if he remains, he continue, can continue to be a source of help. By remaining, he will be able to join the Philippians, and this will result in boasting in Jesus Christ, a way of giving the honor back to God. I wonder when things in our own lives are going right, do we stop and honor God? Or do we just wait for the moments when it's all falling apart to call in his name? For Paul, he realizes that he is an apostle, a preacher, and a pastor, and martyrdom is a luxury that, that he can't afford and will have to wait because he is committed to a cause. By the time we uh, reach verse 27, Paul's attention shifts again. Up until now, the Philippians may have been cheering at the clever rhetoric and ability of Paul's steadfast faith. Now all goes quiet. The apostle has brought the focus right to the door of the Philippian believers and instructs them on how to behave. For Paul, there is a contrast between being a Roman citizen and being a citizen of the gospel. Paul is not advocating violent opposition to the empire, but he is making it more than clear that the interests and aims of the church are different from the aims of the empire. The church should therefore not spend its time apologizing for its existence. By the time we come to the end of our reading, we see Paul outline a code of conduct. Our conduct for Paul is to live a life in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. 
Paul doesn't mean that we should try harder to secure something, rather that because it has been secured for us, we should act out of gratitude and recognition for what God has done for us. But bluntly, conduct that is worthy of the gospel is conduct that promotes the gospel. I wonder this morning, are our actions promoting or tearing down the gospel? Because for Paul and the Philippian believers, there's a common cause. The Philippians have a job to do, and the apostle very clearly lays it down. They have a common task in which they are to struggle together. It won't be an easy task, but then working together never is. But they are a team. They are running the same race. And the goal is not who gets to the end first, but it is the crossing of the finishing line together that seems to make the difference. For Paul, a united form and consistent living out of the gospel will be a visible sign of the future. Because of this gospel and this newfound self-belief in God, there is a confidence, a confidence to go on. Because, you see, Rome could kill Christians, but they couldn't victimize them. The martyrs could go to their death confident that the story to which their killers were trying uh, to um, subject them to, that of victimization, was not the true story of their death. For Philippians, suffering is not the result of failing to walk worthily, but is a gracious gift that results from a common life worthy of the gospel. Suffering is being obedient in a world that can't abide obedient ones. Echoing the word of Christ in Mark chapter 8, where uh, we are told that we must take up our cross if we are to follow Christ. I wonder this morning, if current trends in the West continue, an opposition to the gospel uh, extends far beyond just family disapproval and trouble at work. Are you and I ready? Are you and I prepared? And are you and I willing. You see, church this morning is a little bit like that film. We've all had military training. We have heard God's word and been instructed in it. And we've heard sermons calling us to action. We have an ethos to serve, otherwise we wouldn't be here this morning. Maybe some of us are more committed to others than others, but God can build us up. And we're committed to a cause, the cause of Christ. Let us never stop realizing this morning that we're part of a bigger picture. We're part of what God is doing in the here and now. Whatever circumstance we may experience, whatever situation we may find ourselves in, no matter how much worry we may have, how much anxiety, or even if things are going great, let us remember that it's all part of God's bigger picture and what he is doing. And may we be able to go out into the world with the words of our concluding song, singing, it is well, it is well with my soul. Amen.